You're listening to the Bug Bucks Podcast, hosted by Alan Draper and Eric Bassett. Each week, they'll discuss ways to scale and grow your pest control company with a goal of helping you become a bug money millionaire. What am I wanting to accomplish with my pest control company? You know, Eric, perfect example is Natura has this culture of being lighthearted, very community involved, that I don't know if you can put a price tag on that. I don't know that, you know, but you guys did this Christmas video that was fantastic, but it took time. It was you and Jake and it took your time. The nice thing about some people say, well, no, I, it's not all about the money for me. Exactly. It's not. I, I'm the first one to agree. But when you understand the money and your business can operate and pay all of its people, pay all of its bills while you're growing and you're able to do these things that matter more to you than money. That's when you know the rubber really hits the road, for me at least. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bug Bucks podcast. I'm Alan Draper. I've got Eric Bassett here with me. What's going on, Eric? Hey, Alan. Not too much. Glad to be on the show as always and uh, excited for today's topic. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, this is a great one. I wanted to make a really special announcement because yesterday podcast data just worldwide was released through Buzzsprout, which is the platform that we use. And they gave us all of our data and I'm sure it's this marketing effort so they can actually I'm looking at the what they gave us and it doesn't even have Buzzsprout on there, but I guess I just gave them a shout out. But they released the Bug Bucks podcast data along with every other podcast podcast data. And it's really cool. And I know you've seen this, Eric, but I kind of wanted to give ourselves a little pat on the back for how crazy. Because I think sometimes, I think in business and life in general, we don't realize what we're accomplishing because it's a lot like, I don't notice my kids growing up. Like I'll go see a cousin or I'll see a grandparent that I haven't seen in six months. They'll tell my son, my 10-year-old, hey, Maddox, you, you're so much taller. And I don't see it because I see him every day. Mm-hmm. But with the podcast, I think it's very similar with our businesses. We don't see the growth sometimes. And every once in a while, we need to step back and like acknowledge like, hey, we're doing some stuff. We're making some really large achievements, some huge, we're making some huge moves. And in 2022, the Bug Bucks podcast, which in 2022, it was its first full year. We launched in the original version of Bug Bucks in, I think it was June or July of 2021. But the Bug Bucks podcast in 2022 had over 30,000 downloads. It was listened to in 63 countries. We had 49 episodes, so just shy of one a week. And there was almost 1,700 minutes of the podcast. And that, I think it's the downloads that put us in the top 25% of all podcasts in the world. 63 countries. That is so wild to me. That's awesome. I mean, we're only broadcasting in English. Yeah. It's just crazy that we're able to reach that wide of an audience. And I mean, top 25% in one year of this podcast going. That's that's huge. So shout out to the listeners. Thank you for the support. That's great. I think that's the big thing is it's the listeners that are, I mean, they're supporting us. 
they're sharing our episodes. They're providing feedback to us. They're leaving us reviews. I think there's a plan for us to eventually use the podcast in some form of monetization. But as of now, Eric and I and Hunter and Becky, who are behind the scenes, we're donating this time, really, right? This is us doing something that we love and in an industry that we're super passionate about. So I did. I I think that's a great point, Eric. I wanted to thank our listeners that make this possible. I think we honestly, though, Eric, if I think about it, I appreciate our listeners. I appreciate the feedback. I don't think, obviously, it wouldn't be where it was to the level that it's at if we didn't have the volume there and the support. But I would do it if we had one listener and it was like, hey, man, that meant something to me. So it's just kind of cool to see it explode. So ultimately, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. We know how busy you are. We know how important your time is as a business owner, as somebody that's trying to be productive and add something back to the world. We know that you have families. We know that you have businesses. You have employees. You have all these things pulling for your time. And 30, 45 minutes is a lot to ask. And we appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you for a successful year. Thank you for the support. You know, we appreciate it. The best way that you can thank us for this is to continue that support and to share this with somebody that you think it could help. 100%. I'm excited for this year, man. This makes me, you know, whenever I look back at numbers from 2022, it just makes me just hyped for 2023. It's going to be a big year, big things happening, good guests, good content. I'm excited, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. 2023 is going to be an interesting year with the economy. There's going to be a lot of opportunity and a lot of areas to grow your pest control company in. There's going to be opportunities to acquire companies. I think there's going to be a lot of marketing opportunities this year because I see some companies pulling back. And it really reminds me of this concept of to be fearful when others are greedy and to be greedy when others are fearful and others are fearful right now. And they're going to be throughout 2023. And I think that's a Warren Buffett quote, if I'm not mistaken. So I I want to encourage that. And we're going to kick off, I guess we're an episode or two in for 2023, but we're going to kind of kick off the beginning of this year. And we're going to talk about financial statements today. And we are actually talking about what is my favorite financial statement for managing a pest control company. We are going to link to it in the show notes. I have a sample from Pete's Pest Control. That's not an actual company. I created this document, but it has some real life application. The numbers are made up, but they're very applicable to pest control companies. And this document, Eric, it's a profit and loss statement, but it has a twist. There's two differences that you'll notice. This one has profit and loss on the far left corner is raw dollar amounts. And then it has percentage of income right next to it. So that's one of the differences from a traditional P&L. And then the second difference is that it has year to date from previous year data. And you can't really tell that from the document. For some reason, I didn't put dates on there, but I'm actually going to do that. So I'm going to put arbitrary dates. So I'm doing that as we speak. I'm going to put 2021 and then I'm going to put 2020 so that you can see that it's the previous year data. 
And we're going to have a conversation about this P&L and, and what it can mean to help you manage your pest control company. It sounds awesome. I mean, and we've talked about P&Ls before on the show, and I've said this in a couple of recap episodes, you don't need to be a mathematician or a CPA or have some kind of a background in accounting to have a P&L do a lot of very good things for you and for your business. There are some facts and figures on these that seem a little bit overwhelming, but the important part is just knowing some overall philosophies and kind of knowing what the names and figures mean. So Alan is going to walk through this a little bit and I'm going to follow him and we're going to kind of give you guys a couple of pro tips when it comes to this P&L and then ways that you can use it to grow your PCC. Yeah. So we are going to link in the show notes a copy of this document so you can view it. This episode might be a little more interactive than just you listening to this on on the way to a customer's house or on the way to the office, it might be helpful to be in front of a computer screen. So maybe you listen to it once and then maybe skip through to the parts where you want to have this document in front of you. But I think it will be helpful. And the reason why I say that is because as Eric and I have this conversation, we are going to have the document in front of us. I'm going to be referring to specific numbers and it might be helpful if if you do also. I'm also going to track down the episodes in which we've spoken about P&Ls and financial statements for pest control companies. And I'm going to try to interject those at some point in the episode. If I don't, if I'm able to track those down while we're, we're recording, we will include those in the show notes also so you can cross-reference those episodes. So let's break down what this is and why I like ratios. A lot of people look at raw dollar amounts and I need two things or more to compare to put things in context. And I think part of that is because I can get rid of variables. And on this document, I have 2020 versus 2021. Keep in mind that these are the raw dollars are made up numbers. What you should really be focusing in on is the ratios. and don't take into consideration that 2020 was COVID year. This could be 2021 and 2022. But that's a perfect example of why I look at ratios. In 2020, we had something happen that was unprecedented that nobody really could have planned for. And so it might have affected your business in you know a number of ways. But it's going to especially, if it did or it has affected your business, it affected the raw dollar amounts more than anything. But if we're looking at managing a pest control company and we're looking at our expenses, I don't really, I'll give you an example. I don't really care if I spent $5,000 on, let's say I said I spent $5,000 on technician equipment, which is for us, something that is not left at a customer's house, like for example, an Evo bait station, that would be left at a customer's house that goes into our cost of goods sold. But technician equipment would be like gloves. So let's say I spent $5,000 on gloves or technician equipment. I don't care so much about the $5,000, Eric, as I do in the context of gross revenue. So what if I told you, yeah, I spent $5,000 on gloves. Some people might say, oh my gosh, that's so much. Other people might say, that's nothing. 
And the reason why is because we have to look at gross revenue. If I said we spent $5,000 on gloves and we had $1,000 in gross revenue, we've got a problem. <laughs> if I yeah. if I say we've spent $5,000 on gloves, but we have $10 million in gross revenue, it's not such a problem. That's why I look at the ratio. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that ratios, just like you're saying, they're so important. And one of my favorite things about the change that you made on this document is that it's comparable year over year. You know, when I look at people's year exactly. over year numbers. That's super important to me because I don't care as much how much somebody spends. I care about what the increase was year over year exactly. and then what the percent or the ratio increase was or decrease is year over year and why. And you have to be able to compare one thing to another year to year or month to month or however way you're doing it. And then you have to be able to tie that decrease or increase to a specific detail. And like you said, you cut out the variables. And once you can do that, this provides you a lot of clarity. Yeah. I mean, that's the key to this. And I love that you brought up how, so it's not just a ratio, but it compares year over year because it puts it in context. It puts any raw dollar amount in context even further because the mm -hmm. idea is as you scale your company, that your company gains from these economies of scale. While your raw dollar amount for gloves, for example, is going up, the ratio as a percentage of gross revenue should be going down. Yeah. And you're going to see that there's there's a similar relationship and I, you hope that there's a similar relationship as you scale your company year over year where things become more efficient. And sometimes those efficiencies have to do with the market. I shouldn't say efficiencies. Sometimes those ratios and the decrease has to do with the market. But a lot of times it has to do with how efficiently you run your operation. And sometimes you'll see a different relationship where as you scale, things don't exactly get cheaper as far as the ratio goes. And it's difficult. You have to add things, add positions, add labor, add other stuff that you weren't expecting. But in the grand scheme of things, it's worth it from a growth standpoint. So that's why it's nice to look at a, at a statement like this because you can start tracking how the relationship affects your company over time. So I think that's great. That's a really good point that when you're growing your company, not everything is in the short term going to be impacted by this idea of economies of scale. That's a great point. I just had a conversation with a technician who's in charge of rolling out this new program for proof. And it's going to take years for that new program to hit the bottom line, it's not really the purpose of the program anyway, but the program mm -hmm. is going to cost money. Sure. So, and it's going to cost, it's going to hit our labor category, but we're okay with that. We put it in context, but that's what this does is it allows you to make decisions. And I think a big part of this doesn't really have to do with numbers and cents. It has to do with what am I wanting to accomplish with my pest control company? You know, mm -hmm. Eric, perfect example is Natura has this culture of being lighthearted, very community involved that I don't know if you can put a price tag on that. I don't know that, you know, but you guys did this Christmas video that was fantastic, but it took time. It was you and Jake mm -hmm. and it took your time. The nice thing about some people say, well, no, I, it's not all about the money for me. Exactly. It's not. I, I'm the first one to agree. But when you understand the money and your business can operate 
and pay all of its people, pay all of its bills while you're growing and you're able to do these things that matter more to you than money. That's when, you know, the rubber really hits the road for me at least. Yeah, 100%. And you know, and we see it a lot with marketing. I mean, obviously we've got some marketing expenses in here, but you see a lot with marketing where you you have directly correlated ROI and you've got all these numbers that fit together. But then you have some campaigns that you just do and you know that you're not going to get a direct attribution for ROI on it and it's one of those things you make and company cultures like that. Mm-hmm. Some marketing strategies are like that. Things that you do that it's it's difficult to actually pinpoint in the yep. PNL, but it kind of reminds me of that quote. And I might I might butcher this, but it's like essentially the philosophy that I'm I'm trying to get across is in order to say that you don't care as much about the numbers, you have to actually understand what the numbers are doing to say that exactly. you don't care about them. Otherwise, you're just uninformed, and that's not the same exactly. as not caring, right? <laughs> so it's kind of one of those scenarios where if you want to be able to put together certain things that that you can actually contribute to where you're like, hey, it's not about the money. It's about culture. It's about brand. It's about whatever it is. Well, first, you might want to know what the money is actually doing. Yeah, 100%. That's such a great point. And I think it's a scapegoat sometimes for people where they're like, hey, money isn't isn't everything. <laughs> it's like, you're just saying that because you don't know where your money's going. Yes. And you need to know. It's similar with a budget. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to be restricted by a budget. Budget gives you freedom. Yeah. They've done oh, yeah. studies and people that budget end up spending more on the things like clothes or whatever their hobbies are than people that don't budget because they know that, that it gives them that freedom and they know where they're at. So kind of digging back into this PL, the raw numbers are made up, but this is a great sample of a really well-run pest control company in Alan Draper's professional experience. And some people might look at these margins, especially gross profit, which in this year of 2021, it shows that gross profit was just shy of 75%, 74.97. And net profit, it shows 36%, little over 36%. And a lot of people might say, and a lot of accountants in the pest control space might say, hey, these numbers aren't possible. I am here to tell you that these numbers are possible. These margins Mm -hmm. are very possible. They're not easy and you have to do a couple of things right, but they are possible. So if you are, first of all, make sure that you're running this P&L for your company. But if you're not seeing these numbers, it's a great goal to strive. And to be honest, I've seen gross profits above 80. And I've seen net profits knocking on 50. And I'm not kidding. And these are companies that are scaling too. This isn't Orkin and Terminex, but these are companies that are growing at a pretty fast clip. They can hit these numbers. I am telling you, I've seen it. I've experienced it personally. But let's get into a couple of these things. So gross profit at 75%. And some CPAs don't necessarily like how I use gross profit. The proper term is contribution margin. They say contribution margin is a more applicable term. And I'm not a CPA. Uh, You all know that. But if you look at this, this includes, in my perspective, it's like, hey, how much did it cost us to do the services? Mm -hmm. And if you look at this, it cost us 25% of everything that we brought in was just to do the services. It was the tech labor. It was the products that we left at somebody's house. It was, I include merchant service fees in there. If I'm not doing the service, 
And that, that one's debatable. That's a little bit of a gray area there for two reasons. One, there's reservices and mm-hmm. those aren't paid. So those don't have a processing fee. And then also with subscription-based companies because we're detaching the service and it's more monthly monthly billing. So, mm-hmm. so I could see that slipping down into a fixed cost and I'd be okay with that. But this is it. And obviously the big chunk of this is in total tech labor, which is almost 20% of the 25% of cost of goods sold. Again, I do like these margins, not necessarily the raw dollar amount for a company, but I do like these margins. I like to see products and products are what we call chemicals. I like to see that at around 3%. If you're above 3%, then you need some efficiencies there, either with tracking products, making sure your technicians aren't stealing from you or working with your vendors. But yeah, what what's your overall graph kind of just in terms of gross profit, anything stand out to you here, Eric? Well, and like you said, I mean, this is a good example of a a well-run operation. So, you know, if you're comparing your P&L to to this sheet and you see some differences here, some discrepancies if you want to call them, just consider that there are going to be some some highs and lows around this. Mm-hmm. We designed this as a or Alan designed this as an kind of an ideal scenario. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I wanted to know is especially when it comes into the cost of goods sold or cost of services, there are a lot of things that contribute to that outside of just the market that we're in. But when you buy products, how you store products, how you track product, right? Mm -hmm. How your technicians are using product philosophies about the service. So if you do notice something in here where you're looking for that and you go, oh man, I'm, I'm spending way over 3% on my products, mm-hmm. that's when you use that figure to look into things where you're like, okay, am I being the most effective with when I'm ordering product? Am I asking my distributor, hey, when can I order? This is how much product I probably need for this year. You're going to need projections for that, of course. When can I order this amount of product at the most advantageous times financially? Mm-hmm. We just had a scenario with one of our suppliers where we needed to buy a lot of bait stations because we're going to get them at a discounted cost, but we don't have the space to keep those bait stations. Hmm. And so we cut a deal with our supplier where we said, Hey, we'll buy that many bait stations. If you can hang on to them for us. Yes. And they were like deal. And I'm like, dude, I don't have to pay for storage. This is great. Right. Because now I'm, I'm getting it from both sides. I'm cutting down on costs on what I would pay for storage. And I'm cutting down on costs, what I'm paying for supplies and materials. So just one thing that I wanted to note there is actually using that data, if it looks different, if it looks the same as what Alan is showing here, you're doing some good things. But even then, go through your processes and see if there's ways to refine them and make them better. Yeah. And I mean, you brought up a bunch of great points. I'm going to touch on the distributor relationship real quick. So there's three things that really matter to me when I'm purchasing product. I want to be able to control when I actually pay for it, when the money comes out of my account, I actually pay for it, when it's delivered to me, and when it's actually priced. And then I guess that fourth piece would be this bulk discount or special discount. And if you have a great relationship with your distributor, you're getting all of those, all four of those things on your terms. So you're mm-hmm. you're getting a price at a certain point with that discount for bulk ordering. You're not paying for it until you get it and you're not getting it until you need it. Now I know yes. that sounds like a lot, but, and I've seen some discussion <laughs> in the groups recently about 
doing like warehousing for smaller companies and things like that. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of that. I think one-on-one relationships. And the reason why I'm not a huge fan of it is because the distributors aren't. I don't think that they're, I don't think that they like that. I think they like to be the ones that have the relationship with the PCOs. Mm -hmm. I guess my mind could be changed about that. The other thing is that there are going to be some differences between your company's P&L and this one. And that's perfectly fine. This is something to shoot for if you're not here. And any one category, don't get hung up on a couple of percentage points because remember how personal this is to your company. I might not include certain things in a line item that you do include. And that's fine. Like Take that into consideration. Some people might include some things that I call tech equipment in their products. That's fine. I think if you look at the large numbers, the top line, the gross profit, and the bottom line, those are the big things to shoot for. And then also you'll notice tech wages is at under 13%. I don't know how to do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I created this document a few years ago. And so that number has risen quite a bit. I think for all of us, I'm especially high in certain of my more expensive markets but don't get hung up on that one. I know people, I could just tell Eric, I could feel people saying <laughs> there's no way. And this is especially true of people that pay based on production. This pest mm-hmm. control company, you can tell it is not production based for tax. And so what you'll see though, is that that 12.9% for tech wages, or I guess with total tech, tech labor, which includes FICA at 18%, that's going to be in the low twenties in a lot of cases. So my gross profit and everything else is, you're assuming everything else is going to be the same. That gross profit margin is going to be a little bit lower, but I've seen companies that have been able to hold pretty steady with the bottom line revenue. So what they're doing is they are decreasing fixed costs. So one thing that I try not to budge on is this idea that as my bottom line goes up, I also want my total tech labor line going up as a percentage of gross revenue. And the mm-hmm. only way to make those two, two things match up is to apply these economies to scale and these efficiencies in fixed labor costs. Well, and the other thing too is, and if you have year over year data, one thing that some of these guys are going to start seeing is if you're not the type of company that increases your prices, maybe you increase prices for new customers. Right. But unless you have like an overwhelmingly big percentage of new customers that are coming in versus old customers, then you're going to continually see that that percentage of tech labor is going to continue to go up as just the cost of -hmm. of labor goes up naturally. And also, even if the cost of labor in your market doesn't go up naturally, the skill level of some of the employees that you have is going to continue Mm. to increase. It should. Right. So, that's going to go up their labor and how much you're paying them is going to increase. So you might look at this sheet or you might look at your year over year data and think, ah, as I'm seeing this trend here, the only way that I can get this percentage back down or get any of these percentages back down is if I can actually take the lead and raise some prices on my customers as these other things increase. So looking at a PL might actually lead a PCO to understand that just to maintain healthy margins and healthy ratios, you have to be willing to raise your prices. That It's funny that you brought that up because that was that's exactly where I was going to head next is when you're talking about raw dollar amounts, you'll see 
costs just go up, especially over the last couple of years with crazy inflation. And I think our economy got hit especially hard with two things that pest control companies are very heavy on. One, labor. Two, fuel costs. So you mix those two things. Like think of, we're a service. We're not a product. We don't have a lot of machines that are operating autonomously. This is a service-based industry. So it's labor heavy and then fuel. You know, that's how we perform the service is we drive house to house or business to business, whatever location, location. So we got hit really hard. And the way to compensate for that is through price increases. I think some people have a problem with that, Eric. They feel like it's immoral. I had a conversation just last week. I was talking to a guy that was asking for some help with his pest control company. And he he said, yeah, we try not to raise prices on our customers. And I asked him, I'm like, can you name me one company that I would be familiar with that hasn't raised prices over the last year? Just one, just give me one. Is there a McDonald's? Your chemical prices, have they have they been raised? And of course, the answer is, you know, no. He couldn't give me an example because, and it's not moral or immoral. They're trying to stay in business. Actually, I might argue that it's immoral to not raise prices because what you're doing is you're putting your company at risk. And there are people that rely on you for their jobs, put food on the table. And so what about them? You're absolutely right. Top line revenue, especially over the last couple of years. And inflation, I think, is going to continue. There's still going to be that impact on the economy. I think it's going to level out sometime this year. And then hopefully we start to see some some dips in, in those increased costs. But that's such a great point. I think there's two types of price raises. One is an ongoing pre-planned price raise where it's like, hey, every year my company is going to raise prices between 3 three and 5% on a sp- certain percentage of my customers or whatever, some whatever the plan is for your company. And then there's also the reactive, which is mm-hmm. more applicable to the last year, year and a half. And that is gas is up, labor is up, inflation's killing us. And we've all seen the emails. Hey, sorry, we had to raise prices. I feel like I get one of those a day. And that's a more reactive. But I would recommend to a PCO, let's have that planned price increase in place And that will help with a lot of these margins. And people are like, well, I don't want to lose my customers, especially in this industry. We're so recurring customer heavy, which is such an important part, a great aspect of our business, a great advantage. And they think that customers are going to cancel. This has been my experience, Eric. And then I'm going to kind of pass it over to you and we can get some final thoughts before we wrap up. But my experience has been, we send out the email price increase notification. We'll get a handful, less than 1%, 1% of all customers that received it that will call us. And they'll say something like, hey, you know, I've been with you. And this is what we say. We say something like, hey, you know what? You're 100% right, Joseph or Susan or whatever. You've been with us since 2017. We really appreciate your business. What I'm going to do is I'm going to grandfather you back in at that old rate just because you've been with us for so long. We're trying to keep pace with inflation, with higher cost of labor. We got to make sure our, our people get paid a fair wage. So at the end of the year, we'll just have to do that small bump. Something like that, where you explain what happened, you show them. To my knowledge, we have not had a single person cancel that has told us. Maybe they canceled and said it was for another reason. But what do you think about that? Is that consistent with what you guys have experienced? 
Yeah. I mean, when we do, we do price increases every year. In the past couple of years, it's been a little bit more intense just because of the cost of everything and the state of the economy. But you know, on a regular basis, we want to do percentage-based increases on the whole customer base, excluding the ones that are under contract, of course. And the more that you do that, the more that your customers just get used to the idea that, hey, you know, once a year, my pest control company raises it a few bucks or whatever it is. And that's like a few bucks a month. And that's fine. You know, they provide a great service. I enjoy what they do for me. It has a good value. And I'm I'm good with that. And from a PCO standpoint, you know, I talked to some guys that feel the same way, where they're worried about cancellations, they're worried about raising their prices and how they're going to approach the scenario. One, you definitely want to plan for it, whether you're going to have communications via email, text, letters, however you're going to do it. And if you don't want to do communications, that's a whole other thing. We can get into that later. I always ask guys to consider what would happen if they just never did it, what the long-term impact will be. And what is likely to happen is that the money's going to come from somewhere. So if you're not raising your prices and the cost of materials and everything else and labor continues to go up, then your profits continue to go down. And if you have lower profits, that means you can invest less in your company. You invest less in better product, better labor, better people. And when you do that, the quality of your service declines. And when your quality of service declines, those customers who are paying less and have paid the same for who knows how many years will eventually see less and less and less value in that same service. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you don't raise prices for customers, you will eventually grow yourself out of being in business. When I say grow yourself, you'll eventually recede out of being in business. The other thing from a profitability standpoint, if you look at the numbers, if I raise my prices by say 3% and I have from that particular price increase, a 1% cancellation, there is a difference in profits or there's a difference in amount that I will make off that price increase that is over and above what I'm going to lose from the customers Mm -hmm. that are gone. So now I have more money and I have less customers. And a lot of people in this industry talk about success in the customer number. Like I have X amount of recurring accounts, right? It's a big thing. But when you consider like, wait a second, I could make more money, top line revenue, and I'm servicing less accounts. Well, if I'm servicing less accounts and making more top line revenue, that means that that top line revenue is profit, right? Exactly. It's one of those things where I say, hey, when you do the price increase on existing customers and you do a price increase for new customers, Anybody that cancels, you're just making room. You're making room for people who value you more to pay more money that actually align with your interests and your ideals about how much your service is worth. That's exactly what I was just going to say is like, hey, here's the secret. The people that are going to cancel because of a price raise, they're not your best customers anyway. No, so never. That's a great point. I'm going to wrap up with this, Eric. Using this model here, not this specific model, but the, using a percentage of gross income. What you can do is budget for the following year. Think about it. All you'll need is what your goals are for the year. And if you want to grow it, you know, 150%, you did $100,000 last year, you're going to do 150,000 this year. Well, that'd be 50% growth of 150 would be 250. You start with that. So, hey, I want to do $250,000 in revenue. And then you apply what your percentage of that was of your $100,000 was last year, you apply that to all those categories, 
you immediately have all your budgets. Now you're going to want to make some tweaks, go in there. Well, we're going to spend a little bit more on, on marketing, obviously, if we're going to grow or mm-hmm. we're going to do this program with our technicians, whatever. But you can make those tweaks. But that's a really great hack for creating a pretty solid budget. None of us have a crystal ball. I never know where my budgets are going to be off or my projections are going to be off. I don't know if it's going to be up or down or how much, but I do know that it's going to be off. This is a great little hack for creating little budgets and knowing like, hey, in June, I've already reached 100% of my budget. Maybe we need to reevaluate the budget or make some changes. And so that's another great use of this P&L as a percentage of total income or gross revenue. Yeah, 100%. And I've speaking of budgets, I, I just, so I'm not sure when this episode is going to drop, but we're recording right in about the middle of January. Mm-hmm. You know, the last week, I had just finalized all of our marketing projections and budgets for, for Natura and for a couple other clients that I consult for. It's interesting for a lot of people that these are sometimes their first budgets that they're really ever seeing. They're like, oh, wow, like, okay, like, I know what I'm going to spend. I know what to expect performance wise on these months from these numbers. And you roll with it. And it's like, you can run your whole company this way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, if you know what to expect, you have to be able to look at the the numbers in arrears from the PL, from those profitability statements, and then use those percentages like you put in there. And then you can just reverse engineer a whole budget with it. So I, I love that. Yeah. This has been a great discussion. I did want to mention two of our more recent episodes where we've touched on financial statements and knowing your numbers. Episode 56, which dropped November 3rd of 2022. It's called Protect Your Profit Margins by Planning Ahead. Make sure to check that episode out. Also, episode 59, which dropped December 1st of 2022. Three ways to make your pest control company more efficient. We'll also put those in the show notes. Thanks for listening today. If you want to help somebody out, share this episode with them, have a discussion, and grow your pest control companies. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening to the Bug Bugs Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please show your support by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Thank you, and we'll catch you on next week's episode.